welcome. First uh, Sunday of the month of August. I see the kids are chomping at the bit to be dismissed here. Uh, okay, uh, just give me a minute or can I let them go right away? I think I can let them go right away. Are you ready, Michelle? Yes? Okay, so kids up to, uh, what is it, to primary school, you can be dismissed and follow Michelle. We have a group that's meeting in the hallway with the little kids, and we have a group that's meeting in screen 11. And if you are brand new, you say, I don't know where any of this stuff is or what to do, just follow them out in the hall, and they will take care of you, okay? Good. All right, so welcome this morning. Um, let me get to a few announcements here before we go ahead with the message. Welcome to you who are joining us online. And uh, we've got some sound for the people online, yes? All right. Well, just to pause and thank you to all of the... You've got musicians here. We've got the technical people here and the kids volunteers and all that. And this morning was, wow, what a tornado of problems. You know, when you're portable like this and you have devices that fail... You have to quickly troubleshoot, and we had two devices, a wire and a device that failed, and our main sound guy is away today, and so it reminded me of that old movie Jurassic Park, not so old. I can't get Jurassic Park online without Dennis Nedry, right? <laughs> but we got it back online, so thank you, uh, Patrice and David and the, the band behind us and all of that. And you know, they, these guys were up here praying, we couldn't, couldn't get anything working, and they said, well, we'll pray. So they prayed, and all of a sudden, we get these little blessings, you know, these little things that happen. So if you're new with us today, you can do one of two things. If you would like me to follow up your visit with us, take a guest card that's in the cup holder in front of you, put a name and a phone number and or email, and you can drop it to me. I'll be hanging around over here by the coffee station at the end, or you can hand it to our volunteers out in the corridor, and they will get it to me. Or you can text the key phrase, reach the one to the phone number that's on your screen. Good, the screen is working. That's a good thing. Uh, okay, let me get to the big thing here. Uh, next week is one of the big highlights of our year, and the Back to School Bash is happening. So I think there's a chance we might have actually more people than we did last year because of the REM that is running. How many of you have taken the REM so far? All right, let's try it again. How many of you give it a thumbs up? How many of you give it a thumbs down? How many of you, you're too scared, you don't want to say anything? Yeah. But anyway, people can get here from Montreal quite easily now. Uh, so we're expecting in the region of about 400 people, okay? So uh, there's still time if you would like to volunteer for this event let me talk to many of you, our volunteers, I know who's on the list. So we need you here at 8 o'clock in the morning. Let me explain why. The guests arrive before 8, some of them. We line them up outside until about uh, 9 o'clock or so. They'll be, you'll, if you get here late, you're going to see a big lineup of people and you'll be too late, okay? So you've got to get here at 8 o'clock in the morning if you're just uh, baking or dropping off food and that's it and you'll come back later that's okay but bring it in for eight because if you're too late it's hard to get you in the building we're probably going to lock the, the front doors to keep that line organized outside okay and um, those of you who have kids and you're volunteering just keep your kids with you very much like the Christmas outreach that we did uh, probably be a little bit more people all right you want to wear a good pair a good pair there it is, a good pair of walking shoes because you'll be running around doing all kinds of things, okay? We've got about 40 boxes of stock that have to all come downstairs. They're upstairs in a secret hiding place right now. They've all got to come downstairs. We've got to triage it, get it all organized, get it all ready to go, and all kinds of little different pieces and parts. The magician arrives here quite early in the morning. He'll be setting up. So just come with an attitude of being ready to serve and to do many, many little things. It's a super fun event. It's over with quite quickly, and there's just people everywhere. The, the ad is doing very, very well online. I don't know if there's any cards left to hand out or they're all gone. 
Uh, if you if you want to hand out little uh, card invitations to people, it's fine. Or just direct them to our website, citypointchurch.ca. There's no registration. It's first come, first serve. We've got enough to serve uh, 200 plus kids. If you still want to give to the event, you can just write school bags or back to school on an envelope. If you use an envelope in front of you or if you give electronically, just put a note. As many of you have, we're doing well with the fundraising. We need a little bit more, okay? But that's the 13th next week. And for those of you online, there is no stream next week, okay? It's not that things are broken, but we're not going to stream uh, the magician online or people will be able to figure out his tricks. You know, they just press freeze and they go and they zoom and they say, I see the wire there. See, see? so we can't do that. So uh, just so you know. And then the following week, the 20th of August, our own Xu Yin Wang will be speaking. She's not here today, uh, but she and her family attend our church. And she serves with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and has for a number of years. And she's going to be sharing for the first time in this church out of the book of Esther. Okay, so you you want to come and hear her speak. Uh, she's got a great gift of communication, a great leader, all right? So I, I'm very much looking forward to hearing uh, Shu Yin. And as you know, in this church, we will take your donation any way you want to give it. We're not shy. So, Wedlin, you've got those baskets, and you can circulate them if you're visiting with us and you want to give. Make sure you... Uh, uh, if you want a receipt, that we get a record of it somehow. Use an envelope, put a name, put an address, and we can give you an income tax receipt at the end of the year. And the same thing happens if you give online. Just leave information behind, okay? And, you know, we do this every Sunday, and we're bold about it. Always joke. You can put something in. Just don't take anything out, all right? So uh, we are in the book of Daniel, and we're almost at the end. Uh, and Daniel is a spectacular book in the Old Testament. Uh, as I've often said, I challenge young people in particular to read this book, and I know our youth uh, have these little, what do you call them, uh, these little diary booklet things, and they're, they're actually being challenged to take notes on this whole series, and they're going to be quizzed on it and all of that stuff. Am I right, Posner and Ezra and Robin? Yeah, so, and they're learning, what do they call that, the SOAP method? What does SOAP stand for? Okay, good. Scripture, uh, what you say, obligation? Observation, <laughs> application, and prayer. You know, it touches a little bit on the message today. Um, so Daniel has got so much stuff in it. It's 25, 2,600 years old, but it has so much stuff in it that applies to today. And you've just got basic things that apply in the first six chapters. You watch the way that Daniel behaves. You watch the way his three friends behave, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You watch the way these kings behave. You watch leadership. You watch things like integrity and holiness and a personal relationship with God and persecution and all these kinds of things you learn by reading the first six chapters. They're the easy part. You get into the back six chapters and then you're into all this crazy stuff. And there's all these visions and you're, you're sort of, your head is spinning, trying to figure out who's saying what to who, what time is it, when is it, where is it. And so today I, I thought that I would put it on pause and give you uh, a principle to help you to unlock this. There's so much humming and hawing and so much um, speculation about the whole genre of the prophetic. And when you've got the book of Daniel, this is an apocalypse. An apocalypse means you, you pull back something that's blocking the view. So you, you, when you apocalypse, you peel back the curtain and see what's behind. It doesn't necessarily mean you're looking at the future, but you're looking at something that's normally blocked. And this is an apocalypse, the back half of the book especially. And uh, he, the writer is talking about future things. He makes this very, very clear. And the problem is that we have to figure out what in the world he's talking about or we get lost, 
or and, and or we get discouraged or we we just put it down and we just say this is reserved for the you know for the theologians and the bible scholars and so on okay so what i'm going to do is i'm going to break it down for you make it real real simple if you've been here through some of daniel this is a little bit of review for you but i'm going to make it i'm going to make the complex as simple as i can for you and i'm going to teach you a principle uh, that I call the lens of Jesus. Now, when it comes to these visions of the future, we only have one more left, and it's chapter uh, 10, chapter 11, and chapter 12, and that's all one block, and we'll cover that at the end of August, but you can do it all in one message. It'll take about three hours or so, okay? So just get ready on the 27th. Nobody's laughing at the joke, okay. So, I, But I will make it very simple for you. Chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12, we'll do it all in one shot. So, But if you review where we've come from so far, it's, it, it's really helpful. So if you remember, in chapter 2, we have the king, Nebuchadnezzar. I put his name on the screen for you there, so you remember. And he, he makes, or he has his vision of this uh, statue. And if you remember, he, he puts an incredible bar out there, and he says, I want one of my magicians, etc., to to explain what this is. It's, it comes to him in the form of a dream, a repeated dream, like a nightmare. And so he raises the bar so high, he says, he says I'm not going to tell anybody what I dreamt. They have to tell me. And the text implies that he may have actually forgotten some of it. So, of course, we see Daniel rise to the challenge, and he tells him, this is what you dreamt, and this is what it meant. And you have there a statue uh, starting with the head of gold, and going down the statue, there's different elements uh, that each part of the statue is made of. And Daniel interprets his dream, and he says, these pieces of this statue represent kingdoms that are going to come and that are going to go. So starting with you, you're the head of gold, you are Babylon. And then he talks about another kingdom. This is the torso, uh, and this is going to be the Medo-Persian Empire. And then you have the the this area here, and this is of, um, uh, I forget what it was, bronze. And then you have the legs, and then you have the feet, and the feet are uh, a mixture of, of clay and iron, and you have iron in there as well. So every part represents a different, uh, different empire, right? And... Um, uh, so you have the, the again the um, uh, what do I say the Babylonians the Medo Persians the Greeks the Romans and then some sort of kingdom to come. This is the way that is typically interpreted. The only tip that he gives us is that the head of gold is definitely Babylon, right? And then you get to another vision in Daniel chapter seven, and here you have a different king, and this is the last king. He's kind of a co-regent. Uh, with his father Nabonidus, who's not named in the book of Daniel, but Belshazzar is. And Belshazzar is going to be the last king before the deposition of the Babylonians. They're going to be taken out by the Medo-Persians in 539. And in the first year of Belshazzar's reign, uh, Daniel has a vision. And his vision has the same meaning as the statue from Daniel chapter 2. And he sees all kinds of bizarre animals. It's like the language is fantastic here, you know. And you've got this, this lion with the wings. And this is the same as the head of gold in Daniel chapter 2. This is the Babylonians. And then you have this bear that has these ribs in his mouth. This is the Medo-Persian Empire. The same thing as the chest and arms of silver in the statue. And then you have Greece represented by this this kind of leopard with these different heads on it and this is the belly and the thighs of bronze in the statue and then you have this really crazy scary terrifying uh, image of this kind of monstrous thing with the multiple horns and this is Rome and some sort of future kingdom even post-Rome and you've got this little horn that rises out of the ten horns and this is most often thought to be 
the, this antichrist character who you see not only in Daniel chapter 7, you also see him in the book of Revelation, you see him in Paul's writings to the Thessalonians, and then you see Daniel uh, see something even greater, even more powerful, even more spectacular, one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. And his, his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and he will be worshipped and so on. And this is Daniel kind of the culmination of the vision is that he sees this. And this is the same thing as the, 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 the stone that's cut out of, uh, out of the, the mountain in the statue that, um, that Nebuchadnezzar dreams about. And this stone comes and overcomes all the kingdoms that had come before it. It's the same meaning but different uh, imagery that's used. Are you tracking with me so far? So you've got the vision that the king sees, you've got the dream that Daniel has, but they're representing these kingdoms that are going to come, going to go, and then the kingdom of the Messiah will come. Okay, good. Then you get to Daniel chapter 8, you've still got Belshazzar on the throne, the Babylonians haven't been deposed yet, Daniel's going to have another vision, this is before the handwriting on the wall, the famous night when the Babylonians were taken out by the the Medo-Persians, and Daniel's going to have this vision of these two animals, and you've got this ram with two horns, and then you've got this goat, and this is a super cool chapter because the vision is interpreted for us with great detail. We're told that one of the animals represents the Medo-Persians. We're told that the other one represents the Greeks. They are named. And if you remember, we did a little history lesson, and we looked at how the Medo-Persian Empire, which was the, the ram with the two horns, one horn being longer than the other, this is Persia, would eventually dominate the Medes there, and they would take the full control of that area of the world. Cyrus the Persian, he reigns from 550 to 530. He, the, the Babylon is taken out in 539, and he's going to return the Hebrew exiles to Jerusalem in 538. And we looked at these different kings of the Persians, the last one being uh, so-called Darius the Persian, who eventually gets defeated by a Greek. And that Greek, very famously, Alexander the Great, who uh, seeks to uh, Hellenize the, the world to make it Greek in language and culture, one of the greatest military generals in the history of the world. And we see that his, his horn will be broken apart, and then there'll be four other horns. This represents these four generals. The man had no children. His kingdom was fragmented into four generals who began to fight over what was left over and what the kingdom was. And you see there are two kings that rise to power. You have the Seleucids in the north. You have the Ptolemies in the south. And uh, there's one particular ruler who, who uh, rises to infamy. He's the arch enemy in, in the Jewish religion, and this is Antiochus IV, who called himself Epiphanes, God in the flesh. And this man would do heinous things to the Jewish people in Jerusalem. He would institute the worship of Zeus. He would disallow their circumcision. He would burn their Bibles. He would have them brutally beaten and killed, and he would in particular profane their temple. He would stand in their temple. He would slaughter a pig and spill the blood all over the temple, thus profaning this temple. This is all detailed for us in Daniel chapter 8. Again, the Greeks are named. The, Persian, the Medo-Persians are named. And the historians uh, will say, even the skeptics will say, it's obvious this writer is talking about this whole thing that took place from the second century BC into the, you know, the middle of the second century BC and all these wars that took place. It's obvious, but the skeptics will say this was written after the fact. It's impossible. It's too close. It's too detailed. So obviously the writer is trying to pass this off as something prophetic, but it isn't. That's how accurate it is. And so we, we, went into Daniel chapter 9 last week, and in Daniel 9, he, remember, he does the math. The Babylonians have been deposed. 
They're taken out by the Medes and the Persians. Daniel is thinking to himself, hold on a second, why are we still here? Why are we still stuck in Babylon? Why are the exiles here? Why is the city of Jerusalem not rebuilt? Why is the temple not rebuilt? He's running the math out of his, his colleague Jeremiah's uh, texts from Jeremiah 25, from Jeremiah 29. And he's saying this should mean that we go back. Why are we not back? And he prays this, this very powerful prayer of confession and repentance, thinking that God is late and there is this crisis of delay and he thinks we've done we've done something wrong as a nation i've done something wrong as a leader perhaps and he prays and repents and so on and he gets his answer from the angel gabriel that talks about a wide wide scope of things way beyond what daniel was praying about and he he it's a very complex answer. We tried to break it down even in our Wednesday night Bible study. But he, the point is he gives him a much wider scope of the future in his answer to Daniel's prayer. And so we stop and we say, well, hold on here. What in the world is he talking about? And this is the question that you're going to ask yourself as you read the book of Daniel. You're going to say, well, whose future is this writer talking about? Is he talking about his own future? So if he's writing in the 6th century BC, like the text seems to say, is he talking about his own future? Is he, is he trying to say this is what's going to happen in my lifetime as Daniel and to his readers and let's say maybe a few hundred years forward like up to the birth of Christ or something? If that's what he's talking about, then well, that's finished. And that doesn't really, you might say that has no relevance to me. Or is he talking about our future? way beyond. What about this whole antichrist thing? What about the, the coming of Jesus and the, the, the son of man coming on the clouds of glory and so on? Isn't that our future? Or is he talking about both? What in the world is he talking about? Who's he talking about? And this is kind of what's going to happen in your mind as you read through the book. Are you with me so far? I just gave you a big, quick history lesson, okay? So I'm going to teach you for the next few minutes a principle that's going to help you to understand this, going to unlock the door of Daniel. I call it the lens of Jesus. If you get nothing from this message, it's from this point. When you try and apply the Bible to your life, young people, listen to me. You're doing this whole thing in your soap method there. When you try to apply the Bible to your life, the first thing that you have to do is interpret it. And this is the problem that we have. People who actually do read the Bible and nowadays in, in churches of, of this sort of flavor where you've got people who claim to believe that the Bible is the word of God, there is an astounding lack of understanding of the scripture. We do, we do surveys and we ask people basic questions about the scripture who attend church. And it's very clear that many people are not reading the scriptures. And if they are reading the scriptures, they haven't got a clue what the scriptures are talking about, even in the base sense. And often this is because we open up the Bible and we jump to just try and apply it to our lives. And that can work sometimes if you've got a book that, that's written that way, you know, like uh, the, uh, the Proverbs, which we'll probably do a series on in the very near future. You read the proverb, just do what it says. It's not too mysterious. It's not too difficult to interpret. Just read it and do what it says, and you jump right to application. But you've got to first interpret the thing. And this is the problem that we have. We rush to try and apply it to our lives. And we run into a book like Daniel. We say, good grief, this is a bunch of, this guy's on drugs or something. This has no application to my life. Even a book like Revelation. We say, I don't understand what this guy's talking about. He's smoking too much magic mushrooms in the first century. He's on LSD. He's on a NASA trip. I have no clue. But I, there's no application to my life. And this is because we don't stop to interpret what does it mean and in order to do that you've got to say what did it mean to these people who first read this who first heard this message what did it mean and when we find out what it means then we can apply it to our lives and sometimes that takes a little bit more work like it does in Daniel and when we have a book like this 
What's really going to help us is, does anybody else interpret this thing for us? What we really want to know is, does Jesus have anything to say about it? We look on these visions and these pictures of the future. We say, well, I don't understand this. Who's this talking about? When's this talking about? Blah, blah, blah. Well, what does Jesus think about it? Does he have anything to say about it? Or does anybody else have anything to say about it? Especially people in the New Testament. How do they interpret this thing? Because they're closer to us. How, how, how do they interpret it? Even people in the Old Testament. How did they interpret it? And maybe we can start to figure it out. So when we look at Daniel, we look at these visions, you know, in chapter 2, in chapter 7, in chapter 8, and we try to, he's talking about someone's future, whose future is he talking about? We've got to say, all right, how are we going to interpret it? In, in this case, in the case of the book of Daniel, the Old Testament is silent when interpreting these visions and so on and trying to figure out who they're about. The rest of the Old Testament doesn't do it. It's silent as if to say, well, maybe you should know but we're still scratching our heads here. But when we go and turn to the pages of the New Testament, there's one person in particular who will interpret Daniel for us. He does it very quickly, and he's a little hard to follow. But the person who does it is Jesus himself. Ah, well, I'd be really interested to hear what he has to say about it, wouldn't you? You're still sleeping? Okay, I'm real, I'm, I know I'm going fast, and I've only... I've only got 15 minutes left, folks. I'm going to cover like 2,500 years of history in about 15 minutes, okay? So Daniel happens to be quoted and by implication interpreted by Jesus himself. And he does so in a very radical way and in a very uh, tense context, but he does it. And then later on, you're going to see John, the author of the book of Revelation, he's going to allude to things that are in the book of Daniel. He'll use some of the same language and so on as the book of Daniel, okay? But Jesus is the one who actually quotes from it and applies it, again, by implication. It goes by so fast, but he does do it. So here's where he does it, and we've looked at this a little bit before. Uh, Daniel chapter 7 and his vision that, uh, that he has of this one coming on the clouds of heaven. Well, guess what? When Jesus is on trial for his life and he's about to be crucified and he's being interrogated by the Sanhedrin, they pose the question. The high priest puts him under what's called the oath of the testimony, and he says, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? Answer. And when the high priest did that to you, you had to do it. And Jesus, very, um, in a very controversial fashion, airlifts this passage out of Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 and he says I am and you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one in Daniel it doesn't say that it doesn't say that he's sitting at the right hand of the mighty one Jesus says he's sitting there that means he shares his authority that means he shares his nature in the mind of Jesus. You will see the Son of Man seating, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Immediately, the high priest says, this is blasphemy. We need to sentence this man to death. We need to rid the world of him. He has blasphemed and so on. He, it, it trips the switch. Just Jesus remembering this dream that Daniel had and quoting from one verse, you can argue on the surface of things, is what got him executed. Number one, he claims to be that figure that Daniel saw. He claims to be the one coming on the clouds of heaven, who's obviously worshipped by people in Daniel chapter 7, who's going to set up a kingdom that will never end that we see in Daniel chapter 2 with that stone that comes out of the, of the mountain and overtakes all of the kingdoms that were prior to it. Jesus is claiming to be that one. And he is just 
a carpenter. I mean, he is, just even the idea that the Son of Man, the Messiah, was supposed to be worshipped as God was controversial. And then you have Jesus claiming to be that person who is figured in the book of Daniel in chapter 7. You're with me so far? So this is him interpreting by implication this chapter. And he is saying centuries after it was written. This is like five and a half, six centuries after it's written. He's saying, I'm that guy from Daniel chapter 7. It's talking about me. And you, you will see me coming on the clouds of heaven and sitting at the right hand of the mighty one, the right hand of God Almighty. So in the mind of Jesus, this is to be fulfilled in the future of Daniel, yes, but also in ours because it hasn't happened yet. I don't know if you've seen Jesus coming on the clouds of heaven. Uh, Matthew chapter 24 says that as lightning from the east is visible from the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man, and all the earth are going to see this event. This hasn't been seen by us. We're still waiting for the coming of Jesus this way. So it's to be fulfilled in Daniel's future, but also in ours. So it has not happened yet. So this is Jesus clearly interpreting this chapter 7 and this figure as being something to come. Maybe all the other kingdoms are done. Babylon, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, the Romans were in his time. But the kingdom to come is his. And it will overtake all of them in power and in glory and so on. Well, what about the rest of these visions? And by implication, Jesus interprets the vision in, uh, in chapter 8 that we looked at a couple of weeks ago or three weeks ago, the whole thing with the Greeks and, the, and the, the, the Antiochus IV, the guy who goes and profanes the temple. And by implication, he's going to do the same thing with chapter 9, chapter 11, chapter 12, because Jesus is going to very quickly quote from this in uh, the Gospels shortly before he's put on trial and executed. And you see it very vividly in Matthew 24 as an example. And this is the context of it. Jesus is at the temple. He's walking away from the temple. His disciples come to him and they ask him a question. And they say, look at this temple. Look at the buildings of the temple. Aren't they magnificent? And he says, do you see all these things? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Well, he's probably got their attention by that comment. And then they're off at the Mount of Olives. And they come to him privately and they say, tell us. When will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They're asking kind of multiple questions there. All he said was the temple and its buildings are going to be destroyed, but they're asking him questions about the end of the world. And he starts to give them warnings and encouragements and admonitions about a time to come. And he says, watch out that no one deceives you. Uh, there's going to be many people who are going to be calling themselves the Messiah and the Christ who are going to come. Don't be alarmed by this. He talks about nations rising against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms and famines and earthquakes and pestilence. And he says, these are like birth pains. These are going to get worse and worse and more frequent and more frequent. You're going to be persecuted. People are going to turn away from the faith. There's going to be an increase in wickedness. There's uh, people's hearts are going to grow cold. And this message of the gospel about me is going to be preached around the entire globe, around the world, and then the end will come. Well, all he said was the temple was going to be destroyed. And now he starts talking about much, much, much bigger things. And here's where he interprets Daniel very quickly. And he says, so when you see standing in the holy place, that's the temple, 
the abomination that causes desolation. Very harsh language. We saw this last week in Daniel chapter 9. This is what Gabriel says is also to come. And here you have Jesus quoting from this hundreds and hundreds of years later. When you see this happen, what's an abomination? A really bad thing. This is a word that's used rarely in uh, the New Testament, a little more often in the Old Testament, it means a really, really kind of bad sin. If you want to think of it just in a crass fashion, it's an abomination. It's a kind of a hideous thing to God. The abomination that causes desolation, that causes destruction. When you see that standing in the holy place, spoken of through the prophet Daniel. What's he doing? He's looking at chapter 9 of Daniel where this is mentioned by, uh, by Gabriel in the answer to Daniel's prayer. He's looking at chapter 11 of Daniel, which we'll see in a few weeks. This is a vivid detail of the war between the king of the north and the king of the south and what that king of the north did to Jerusalem and how he went into that temple and slaughtered that animal on the altar and spilled the blood all over the walls. This is clearly an abomination that caused desolation in that chapter and it's mentioned in chapter 12 the conclusion of Daniel which is talking about like the resurrection of the dead the culmination of all things it's mentioned there as well and here you have Jesus saying when you see this as spoken through the prophet Daniel he names him let the reader understand interpretation right let him understand and then let those who are in Judea flee in other words everybody run for your lives something terrible is coming when you see that happen and he gives warning after warning after warning in Matthew 24 about something very large that is to come something that's cosmic in scope something that's universal in scope and that will lead to the very visible coming of Jesus again in the clouds and he warns them he says no one knows the time or the hour not even me no one knows it so you've got to be awake you've got to be aware and he issues warning after warning after warning when he does this by implication and this is it goes by so quickly He's taking something that happened in the past and he's saying that it's going to happen in the future. It's, it's a very peculiar way of interpreting it because clearly in chapter 11 of Daniel, in chapter 12 of Daniel even, especially 11, this is with reference to what happened in the past. I mean, Jesus would celebrate it when he goes to the Feast of Dedication or Lights as we called it or Hanukkah as they call it in the Jewish calendar. It is to commemorate the time when the Jews took back their temple from that ruler, Antiochus IV, who slaughtered that pig inside of the temple and profaned it. That was the abomination that caused desolation. The Jews still celebrate it every year in December. That's what they're celebrating. If you ask them about the abomination that caused desolation, they'll say, we know what that is. That's the guy who did that to our temple and our Jewish warriors, the Maccabees, took it back. And this is what we celebrate. Jesus is taking that event that's in even his past, at least in the natural sense, and he's saying this is going to happen in the future. This is a very bizarre way of interpreting this text. And what he's doing is he's saying it's fulfilled in Daniel's future, which would be our past. But it's also to be fulfilled in some shape or form, in some measure. This is going to happen again. Someone or something is going to go into that temple and profane that temple. And when you see that, that means that really bad things are going to start to happen. Are you with me? Okay, you're, you're going, man, this is, like a, this is like a fire hose of information. That's why we record it. Okay, you can, you can watch it and listen to it later on if you want to. So he's saying, yes, this thing is fulfilled in the past, but it's also going to happen in the future. Well, the temple is standing when Jesus says it. 
40 years after Jesus says it, the temple's destroyed. At the beginning of chapter 24, Jesus says, you see this temple? You see these buildings? Not one stone will be left on another. Your temple is going to be destroyed. It would happen 40 years after Jesus said it. And the temple has not since been rebuilt. You can go and visit Jerusalem. You're going to see the retaining wall that Herod the Great built when he tried to extend the site of the temple. You're going to see that wall. They call it the Wailing Wall. It's the most holy site in, in Judaism. People go there to pray. They leave little prayers inside the cracks of these 2,000-year-old stones. That's all that's left. But here you have Jesus, first century, before the temple is destroyed, saying, there's big, big things that I'm talking to you about, big, big things that I'm warning you about, and someone or something is going to stand in the holy place and profane it. And when that happens, you better run for your lives because bad things are going to come, just to put it in the kind of slang language. So by implication, he's interpreting there. He's saying this does have, therefore, application not only to your future, the people who are around him who hear this, but even it extends through the centuries, even to ours. I am of the view as what we would call a futurist, I am of the view that there will be at some shape and some time a third temple built. And that little horn from Daniel is going to come, that antichrist figure as he's spoken of in the New Testament. He's going to stand in that temple somewhere, somehow. He's going to call himself God as Paul explains to the Thessalonians. And he is therefore going to profane that temple. That's a way future event, folks. I mean, people are praying now in Jerusalem that that temple will be rebuilt. People have been praying for that for, for centuries, folks. It's one of the most controversial places and sites in the entire globe. You have the, you have the, the, the conflict between the Palestinians and the Israelis happening there. It is a place of high tension and high conflict. I guarantee you, if the, if the shovel goes in the ground to rebuild that third temple, wow, you're going to see some crazy fireworks happen on planet Earth folks. That's how hot the climate is over there in terms of tension and violence in that part of the globe. It's like everything centers on this little tiny place and is a geopolitical hotspot of the world there. So Jesus is trying to say here by his interpretation you can apply this not only the hearers who are there but it extends even to us in the modern age. So these warnings that we see in Matthew 24 and the parallel in Mark 13 and Luke and so on, these warnings that Jesus tries to get out to people, you can't just take these and put them on a shelf somewhere and say, well, that's all in the past. That was for those people. That's what it was for. It doesn't apply to me. I don't need to worry about it. No, it does have application to you. And when you see these warnings, watch out, he says. There's going to be people who are going to run around and call themselves me. You're going to be persecuted because of me. People are going to turn away from the faith as time marches toward the end. You're going to see people give up their faith. Folks, we see that today, like there's a movement of this around the world where people are saying, I'm not a Christian anymore. I'm giving this stuff up. We're going to see more hatred. We're going to see more betrayal. We're going to see more false prophets, he says. And there's going to be an increase of, as he says, wickedness. It's going to get worse and worse in that sense, and people have to stand firm until the end. And the message of me, according to Jesus, the message of the gospel is still going to go around the entire globe. Folks, he says that in the first century. That's a tenable goal now. Many, many nations around the world have 
I've clearly heard the message of Jesus 2,000 years later. There's still nations that haven't, but the idea of Christianity in some shape or form being represented around the globe is a tenable goal, folks. And that's 2,000 years ago that that was said. It's not a movement that was squashed in the first or second century. It's a movement that has expanded and expanded and expanded even to the modern era. And he's encouraging people, telling people to watch out, telling people to wake up, telling people to uh, stand firm to the end. So we have questions that we've got to ask ourselves when we look into what Jesus says about this book of Daniel. Is our faith as vibrant as it used to be? And uh, we're, we're going to finish up here. Musicians, if you're in the room, you can come and go ahead and play what you want. Is our faith as vibrant as it used to be? Or is it drifting away from you? Is that first love that Jesus talked about, even to the churches in the intro to the book of Revelation, is it, have you lost it? How about the way that you treat one another? How about the way that you treat your fellow man, your neighbor, even people in your family? Has your love gotten colder and colder? Have your priorities shifted? Have the things of this world crowded into your life and heart to the point where you don't, you don't pick up the scripture anymore. You don't pray anymore. God is a lesser and lesser priority on your list of priorities. Are you swallowing up ideas and teachings that are in clear contradiction that the th of the things that Jesus said? Running around following all kinds of things, even as your faith gets quieter and quieter and the flame of it starts to flicker out if that's the case then you've got Jesus shouting to you 2,000 years of history saying hey you gotta wake up because you're 2,000 years closer than they were when I said this we all are living in a in a very very exciting time even though it's a difficult time folks and what God is trying to say to his church, I think, through Matthew 24 and through the way that he looks at Daniel and through his lens is hold on to your faith. Even though it seems like all hell is breaking loose, hold on to your faith. You're going to see things. It's going to get worse and worse before, it's get better, before it gets better. But hold on to what you have. Take my hand and trust me and hold on and put me as the priority in your life. And you are going to see my faithfulness. Even as I showed it to these people in the book of Daniel, I will show it to you. I believe that this is what God is trying to say to us today. The question is, are we going to catch it? And are we going to listen? Father, I pray for each person in the room, those who are online those who are going to watch later on in the name of Jesus uh, Lord may you grab a hold of our hearts once again uh, Lord um, uh, it's so easy to get lost and to drift away it's so easy to follow what the culture may say to us uh, what the, the modern ideas will tell us. And so often what they're telling us is in such contradiction to what you say. Lord, I pray that you would help us to truly put you first in our lives and that truly the light of Jesus would shine through what we say, through what we do. People would say there's something odd, something unusual, something different about you. Why is it that when trouble comes your way, you're able to walk through it calmly? Why is it that when you get the report from the doctor, you're able to still have joy in your life? Why are you so quick to forgive? Why do you not seek vengeance? Why do you not uh, uh, practice materialism what what is it that makes you tick as a Christ follower oh God I pray that that would be our testimony I pray even for next week as hundreds of people come into this building most of them without a personal relationship with God 
they would see something different in us. They would be attracted to the God that we serve because of the light that we show to people. Lord, I pray for those in this room who are struggling just to hold on to their faith. So many questions, so many doubts, such a lack of clarity. Would you grab hold of their hearts? Would you settle their minds? Would you reassure them of your presence and fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit as we walk through these exciting and yet strange and scary days may we do so holding on to the hand of our Savior we pray together today in Jesus name amen amen God bless you today the band's going to continue to play I'll meet any guests that are in the room just over at the front I'd love to meet you you want to buy a t-shirt uh, uh, today and you're volunteering next week bring it next week it'll look really cool and we're going to have a fantastic time I can't wait so uh, have a great great Sunday everyone enjoy the first Sunday of the month of August God bless you Fills the temple when we worship you.